0: bring it in read option podcast back getting you guys ready uh we are what 10 days is that where we're at 10 11 days away from days. super from what is a Super Bowl 58. Yeah. Super Bowl 58. Right around the corner. uh, Me and Scotty today. No Vito. Vito is putting out fires at work. That could be literal. I don't I don't really know exactly. (laughs) He said uh, it was getting wild at work. So when Vito says that, you know, it's it's crazy. So just me and Scotty today. uh, But should be a fun pod. Not going to go crazy long. We got some coaching news to kind of wrap up on as well some conversations about coaching in the nfl right now head coaches the whole process and then uh we're gonna do some some super bowl storylines some narratives normally my least favorite word in uh in sports media is the word narrative but with the super bowl i do think there's some interesting storylines going into it both on and off the field as well as uh you know again the the implications of what the super bowl could mean um because there are some guys who with a win here could completely change their their legacy and standing within the NFL. So, without being hyperbolic about it, I want to take some of the narratives going into Super Bowl Sunday uh and and kind of talk and flesh them out a little bit. But first off, Scotty, how are you, buddy? It's good to see you. Probably going to be seeing you tomorrow. Um yeah. It should be fun. I'm excited to, uh, to see you tomorrow.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm Looking forward to that. We're uh celebrating my wife's birthday, which was last weekend, but all of our or some of our friends rather from Philadelphia coming down uh, Including to celebrate sister. this weekend. My so.
0: sister and brother in law. Yep,
1: yeah, yeah. So we'll uh we'll have a good time. Um detach for, for a week uh, before I, I go full blown ramp up so. mode into uh into Super Bowl week. Um yeah, you gotta which keep. is fun. For 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 a lot of reasons, but uh, you know, <laughs> I'm gonna burn myself out. Of- how are we holding up days. so far?
0: I mean, we're today's Thursday as we're recording this now. It's February first. It is Thursday. How are you? Uh, how are you feeling right now in terms of like where we're standing? Because it's th- this this two weeks is a long two weeks. You know, you go from the excitement of you win Sunday, and you go like, holy shit! Now I'm staring down two weeks. My team's not gonna play for two weeks. You're getting tons of content. The whole world's talking about it. Um, How are yeah. you holding up with it so far? That's... Are you just distracting yourself? Or are you diving? Or are you throwing yourself into as much content as
1: possible? No, I mean, yes and no. Um, I think next week is is really when I'll do that, especially with Radio Row, which is one of the greatest phenomenons in human history. Um, But yeah, you know, the first week is, is sort of a, a celebrate, you know, I, I don't need... I'm not like physically like the the NFL players at all, right? But you can mirror some of their style, right? Celebrate a little bit, uh, lay back, get the body right, get the mentals right, and then uh, ramp up next week. uh, Get ready. uh, And get ready. Um, Yes, exactly. I I am fortunate enough to have been uh, a fan in this spot pretty frequently over the last, what, decade? Um, So I'm... I've learned to sort of ignore all the noise this week this week before Super Bowl week uh pro bowl week so that ignoring it now because it's going to change a million times uh later next week so people are going to go back and forth and it'll start on Monday and then by Wednesday there will be a different uh a, a different narrative that that everyone's latching onto in the media and then by the time we hit Friday afternoon it's like well Last ditch effort. What kind of uh, insane take have you got here? What uh, uh, what are we what are we operating on fumes with? So, um, you know, just kind of ignoring that noise uh, a little bit during Pro Bowl week is helpful because, um, you know, I don't need to be hearing this week about Patrick Mahomes as an underdog. I'm like, I get it. Like,
0: yeah, okay, you have, we you can talk all about next all- week. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> to to, to um, put all that in your brain and try to process right. and figure it all out and see what it all means.
1: Exactly. Having said that, now my wife has has been into the uh, to the New Heights podcast lately, and she was listening to yesterday's episode, um, and I, I happened to catch a glimpse of it on her phone because she watches the YouTube broadcast. And Travis was talking, and I was like, "Hey, screw that guy! Yeah, Public man. enemy number two uh, for the next two weeks." So is number one Taylor house. Swift. Yeah, no, it's Mahomes. <laughs> oh,
0: okay, gotcha. I uh, I normally don't, don't share stuff from from the radio show and stuff I do now because I work. I think I've shared this on the pod before, but my I I work. I'm on air and the producer for this kids comedy show, and it's really fun. And I have my whole persona. I'm Coach Jeff. Um, and we were doing a bit yesterday, or it yesterday, maybe two days ago, but in Minnesota, they they do like a snowplow naming contest where people come in and they come up with clever names to name a bunch of snowplows. And there's like eight different regions in the state that each gets, so it's like the top eight win, um, and get named after that. And the number one was Taylor drift. That was the first was one you would love it because yeah. it's all puns. It's basically your entire sense of humor. <laughs> hey. Um, and, and as, uh, as you know, my co-host Mindy or the host of the show, Mindy, and I'm there to kind of be a, a sidekick, uh, She said, she's like, what do you, what do you think about Taylor drift? And I was, I said point blank, completely deadpan. I just said, I don't, I don't get it. She was like, Taylor, Taylor drift, you know, like, like, like Taylor Swift. Like, you know, the pop star. And I was like, Taylor, Taylor Swift. Who's Taylor Swift and proceeded to go in this long bit where I refused to like acknowledge that I knew who Taylor Swift was. I was like, Taylor Taylor Swift, who is this person? Is she is she famous? Is this a guy I mean, or a girl? This is a bone lines this? are
1: lighting up at <laughs> that
0: one. Dude, my whole point of it was to troll Taylor Swift fans. And keep in <laughs> mind, in doing so, I'm kind of trolling small children <laughs> because this is kids. But the amount of uh feedback and response I got from people, from kids who were like legitimately upset that I didn't know who Taylor Swift was. Two parents who loved the bit and loved that I just kept steering like more and more into the skid of uh, pretending not to know who Taylor Swift was. It was uh it was it was quality content it was quality content. Kids Place Live Channel 134. If anyone out there has Sirius XM, it's uh it's a fantastic program. Uh, The Absolute Mindy Show. We're in the mornings from seven to noon. So uh, check us out there. You'll hear you'll hear a bunch of Coach Jeff on that. Um, I always describe it's kind of like Disney humor. You know, it's meant for kids, but there's always stuff in there for adults. And we play some, you know, a bunch of good music on it, too. So uh, if you have any little ones out there and you want to tune in or if you want to call in, you know, please do. Come check us out. Channel 134. I just I know the Taylor Swift stuff in my head. And it was funny, too, because Mindy even said she said she was like, you know, like Travis Kelsey's girlfriend. And I was like, I thought Travis Kelsey was single. He, he's a girlfriend. I totally missed this. It was great. It was a good time. It was
1: so deep in football. I didn't yeah, even know. Just,
0: just a football guy, you know? Just,
1: That's who they keep showing on the screen all the
0: time. <laughs> yeah, I was like, Taylor, Taylor, you say Swift? Like, like the like the mop? Like the Swiffer? Like Swift? Swift? It was funny. Taylor Swiffer. Taylor Swiffer, yeah. Um, but all that aside, we are nearing the Super Bowl. We will have plenty of time. Next week, we're going to do our annual uh, bets pod, where we're going to do a whole podcast, Nothing but gambling. The whole show, start to finish. We're going to cover everything, prop bets, money line, wages, get gambling theories. And that's going to work as like our first kind of preview. And then Thursday, Friday for you guys, but the Thursday part when we record. Next week, that will be our full-blown preview of the game. We're going to go through every single facet, just like we did last year, the year before that. So we got a ton of Super Bowl content coming today. But I want to lead the show today with talking about some of the the coaching news so as of this afternoon we are fully finished with the coaching carousel uh mike mcdonald the defensive coordinator for the baltimore ravens is now the head coach of the seattle seahawks he is the youngest head coach in the nfl right now uh think about it two years ago he was on the sidelines of michigan then he goes to baltimore he goes from hardball to hardball Puts together an unbelievable run defensively the last couple of years with the Ravens. He is now a head coach in the NFL. I think he's only like 34, 35 years old. He's pretty 36. He's a young guy, um, but he heads to Seattle. And then uh, Dan Quinn announced as the head coach of the Washington Commanders moving forward. And you're probably noticing if you haven't been paying much attention or if you only listen to this podcast that we talked about. And the news broke shortly after the podcast got published on uh, Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday morning, that Ben Johnson was the guy that we thought was going to be locked into being the uh, head coach for the Washington Commanders. He has chosen to return to the Detroit Lions to do another year. This is two years in a row that Ben Johnson has turned down head coaching opportunities to stay with the Detroit lions, which I'm curious. And we, we threw out some ideas in our group chat about why, how, like what's the rationale here? Um, Because the, the main story and when you see it, you know, the, the Orlovskys and Ryan Clarks and all these guys tweeting about it, you know, it's the same bullshit of like, man, what a great story. Like, you know, some things are bigger than just, you know, head coaching jobs and money. And now he wants to stay with his team. And, you know this warms your heart and all that stuff. And you know what like it does. Like on on the surface level it does. But I think there's more to it than that, Scotty. I think I think part of the reason Ben Johnson chose to come back is a, I think the Ford family and the Detroit Lions backed up the Brinks truck to make him the highest paid offensive coordinator in football. I would get, bet any amount of money that that is that is part of it. The other thing is I think it's a testament to what Dan Campbell's built. You know, I there are people out there who who look at this and we say it ourselves too like what are the lines going to look like next year without ben johnson you know is, is the offense going to look the same are they going to regress the rest of the nfc north feels like it's on the up and up um obviously the packers had a good year this year they very easily could have been in the nfc championship game playing detroit for a chance to go to the super bowl as a seven seed um you know they're, they're, that division is going to get better, whether it's Justin Fields staying in Chicago or they bring in, you know, Caleb Williams. That team's getting better. That defense for Chicago is coming along. They have a bunch of draft capital, both the number one overall pick and they have a top 10 pick there as well. So uh, expect them to go out, get someone like a another wide receiver, maybe someone on the offensive line. We talked a lot about what will Detroit look like without Ben Johnson And I think the one thing that we kind of overlooked in this whole thing was the idea that he could actually come back. And we talked about, well, we're going to see what, you know, Dan Campbell's made of. We just saw what happened with the Eagles after they lost their coordinators. Are we going to see something happen with Detroit here where they lose their offensive coordinator and they struggle next year? And because of that, people were questioning whether or not Dan Campbell was going to be a good enough coach. How is he going to be able to handle this without Ben Johnson? Or was this success directly tied to Ben Johnson and less for Dan Campbell? But I think the decision for him to come back actually says a lot about what people think of Ben Johnson, uh, or sorry, of Dan Campbell, and and what he's built there. The team in Detroit wants to be there. They want to win in Detroit, you know. And I think that whole organization, Aaron Glenn at DC. Ben Johnson, OC, obviously Dan Campbell. But that whole roster, you have young guys who are in it to win it. They're hungry, that are talented, that a lot of that rookie class that they were very dependent on this year is only going to get better next year, or at least for the most part, we expect them to be better next year. They have some veterans in there, David Montgomery, Jared Goff, obviously. Amon Ross St. Brown's been in the league long enough that he's that vet status. They'll have some cap flexibility to play with, to bring in some pieces on defense, maybe in the secondary along the defensive line to help bolster some of that stuff, to add some veteran leadership in there. But I feel like the Detroit lions aren't a really, really good spot. And I think more than anything, it's a Testament to who Dan Campbell is as a head coach. And that's going to kind of lead us into the next part of this conversation I want to have. Um, but yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts here? The Ben Johnson decision? What do you think the biggest factor was with him coming back?
1: No, it's huge. I think he nailed it. Um, the fact that he's coming back. One of the things we talked about uh, and it was in reference to a team that is now in the Super Bowl for the fourth time in five years, in the Kansas City Chiefs. Is that continuity that Andy Reid has built? It's not just a hey, we're really good, so I'm going to stay here. Why would Spags leave in that scenario? Why would uh, even even a guy like the enemy who was getting interviews, um, you know, in in previous years, like it's not just because like they're good and they want to leave. They've bought in. Like everybody's bought in, and that's. That's exactly what uh, what you were saying there with Dan Campbell um, and this group that the, that they've literally built from the ground up almost um, since he's been there uh, for three years too. The other thing to consider too is, you know, how many guys have we seen cycle through uh, these, these head coaching positions where it's like, oh, the offensive wizard, the guru, the next new hot thing is like has to be the next head coach. And what if Ben Johnson's like, I don't know, maybe I'm just good doing this, man. Like, the, I like what I'm building here with this offense, with this particular group. Um, why would I need to to upset that? And then three, I think is, uh, is if that's not the case and he does want to be a, a head coach, it's where uh, timing meets opportunity, right? Uh, you know, I, I don't think anyone in the world is telling you that the commander's job right now is like a must-have um any almost any one of the the open head coaching positions was like uh, oh i got to get there um you know and, and it's like when y- your buddy's going out with a a, a toxic uh, uh uh partner and and they're like no but i think i can just fix them right that's not how you should operate as a coordinator taking a head coaching job um in in certain organizations um and so you know if you know if he took a look, step back and was like, especially after Raheem Morris got hired in Atlanta, which I think was probably the most desirable of the remaining, um, maybe Seattle, maybe. Um, but like, if you took a step back and was like, this is not a good career move for me. Um, uh, it it's lateral and maybe a step down, honestly, than staying here in, in Detroit and finishing out, uh, or seeing through what we've built or, or grow it even more, um, as, as their offensive coordinator. So, um, I think it could be any one of those three or a combination of all of the above or, or some of them, but, uh, you know, it's, it's huge for them. That continuity, um, uh, like I said, to me is the, is the biggest thing because you know, as well as I do, Jeff, we've seen coordinators come and go over the last, what, four, myself, four five six years. Now they're all head coaches yeah. in the NFL. Um, and, and you with, uh, with both of them last year. So, um, well, two years really. Um, and so, um, I think that's that's a really undervalued part of, of all of it. Um and and it goes to show, like you said, what uh what they're trying to build there. And that's that's tends to work out pretty favorably for uh for franchises that uh that do that.
0: And and I think there's an element of it too, and I don't think a lot of coaches do this. I think head coaches like one of the things I learned being around coaches, former head coaches, uh in the college side and, and being in that world as much as I was, was just coaches are just as, if not more competitive than the players. Like think about like as competitive as you are, when you're out playing golf, when you're out doing, you know, do, doing whatever activities, you know, softball, any anything you're doing now as an adult that is competitive, it could be your job. It is that much more difficult to be like, if you're a super competitive person, to not have a direct control over what the outcome is. You know, like Dan Campbell got to be on the field, and like if he had to make a block, he had the chance to be like, Hey, I'm going to outmuscle this dude on this block. I have control over that. Coaches don't have that. You know, coaches, it's like you're coaching them up and you hope that they do what you're them you to do. You don't have that control. Yeah. So your, your competitive levels go up even higher because it's like, I can't control the outcome of the situation. I want to desperately. But I can't control the outcome of this. And I think when when we see guys like, uh, you know, Ben Johnson, who's a young dude who's having success in so many of these coordinators, they get hired when they're too young. They're not ready. Brandon Staley, right? Brandon Staley was an awesome defensive coordinator. He chose to take a job because when someone's presenting you with this opportunity and you are as competitive as these guys are and you're cut that way, in your mind, it's it's irrational to some degree, but you're like, I can do any job. I can go win as a head coach. Like that is the mindset. Every single one of these guys who coaches in the NFL, they want to be head coaches. Same thing in college. They all want to do that because they all have that irrational belief that if I'm in that job, I will win. I will get the most out of my players. I will find a way to make it work. And the reality is, is that that's not how it works you know not every single guy is going to be a good head coach and so to battle that instinct of like i can go do this i'm good enough to go do that and matching that with the self-awareness to be like you know what i may not be ready to be a Mm -hmm. head coach like i and here you know ben johnson is being like hey i'm around a coach who i can learn from and I might be a really good play caller right now, but I may not be in a position to, to be – this might not be the best opportunity for me to go be a head coach somewhere as opposed to so many of these coaches are like, I don't care what the job is, I'm going to go and I'm going to be the next great head coach. I'm going to be the next Bill Belichick because that's how these guys are wired. And I think if I were to guess – now, I don't know Ben you know Ben Johnson from a hole in the wall, right? Like I, I don't know him personally. But if I were to guess, he seems like the kind of guy – who has that mentality of being like, you know what, am I ready for this? Am I actually good enough to do this right now in my current state? Or do I need to develop my skills? Do I need to learn how to be a better leader? Am I not ready to take on this challenge? And I have a pretty sweet situation. I can leverage my contract to get a shitload of money, be the highest paid offensive coordinator in football, and continue to learn so that way when that, you know, next year comes, the year after that comes, and he's prepared and ready, you know, like, it's not like it's B BNME. enemy, like B you know, in his fifties has been in the league a long time. We were shocked. He kept getting Passover year after year for head coaching opportunities. You know, when the, when the Mahomes era was really starting to blow up, he still isn't going to be a head coach, you know, and he, but he's in his fifties. Ben Johnson's in his late thirties, early forties, you know, he has a lot he can learn still. And if you're building this up and you want to see, Hey, what does it take to become a Super Bowl champion? this is a pretty good organization for me to sit here and, and try to make that run and learn all the pitfalls to be ready to do that.
1: Yeah. Well, with you, uh, you mentioned learning from Dan Campbell, he's still learning too how to, to draw, uh, the best out of his players, Absolutely. Um, you know, it, cause he's still a, a relatively young head coach. So like, um, it, it's not like he's the expert in, in that either. So, uh, the humility to know that you can learn together with him, um, I think is 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 telling as well. Um, I mean and look at Aaron but Glenn again, for that like, matter too. Like Aaron yeah.
0: Glenn the defense coordinator, right? That the first 2 years in Detroit, that defense was dog shit. But Dan Campbell trusted him and trusted that he would get better and they finished the season with the number 1 run defense and by the end of the year like their secondary wasn't great. But, I mean, they went toe-to-toe with a fully healthy San Francisco team. You know, it's not like Green Bay who, you know, for 98% of the game, they didn't have to worry about Debo Samuel. It's like they had Debo out there on every play. They had Brandon Ayuka out there for every play. They had McCaffrey. They had everybody. And for the most part, the secondary there in Detroit hung with the guys in San Francisco, which is not something we could have really even imagined a year ago You know, when we looked at what this Detroit team is and again, it's it's a testament to the way that Dan Campbell's building this football team and he's doing it his way authentically and he's doing it with a lot of success. And I I have to imagine that, you know, again, it's a great story and we can say, oh, you know, this is so great. It's not all about money, all the other stuff, the stuff that's going to get a million likes. There's truth to that. But I also think it comes from a place of self-awareness. Like I'm in a good spot, like you were saying, Scotty. I can learn more. I can grow more. I can, I'm not ready for a head coaching job right now. In the meantime, I'm going to make a shitload of money because I am that good at a play as a play caller. And I can continue to learn, make almost NFL head coach money, you know, or at least be into the, you know, seven figures and continue to build and continue to see if they can take this team to the Super Bowl moving forward, which I think is really cool. You know, I I do. I I think that is a really cool setup. And I think it's only going to make Ben Johnson that much more, of a hot commodity plus it's that's that whole thing of like he kind of negged everyone else in the nfl you know it's like he's playing hard to get with everybody this is two years in a row that there are teams that wanted him to be a head coach then he was like maybe no 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 no. maybe maybe next year you know like he's like the girl at the bar who's like playing hard to get or the guy at the bar playing hard to get which i i really do like i admire man i i, I think that's really cool and, and i hope I mean, I, I will root for Detroit as long as they're not playing against my Eagles. I will uh, I will root hard for Detroit because I, I do like this team a lot. And, and I love what Dan Dan Campbell's doing. doing. Um, <clears throat> but along those lines, we do have two head coaches that were hired in the last couple of days. Mike McDonald and Dan Quinn. And it made me think because like we've had seven coaching hires and they've been all over the place. Right. We had Gerard Mayo, who was like the coach in waiting for New England uh who else have we had we had uh uh now I'm blanking on uh Tennessee they go after Brian Callahan offensive coordinator but not play caller but like offensive guy been around the league for a while we had uh carolina hiring canalis right offensive coordinator play caller type we had the chargers going out and getting harball which is the big splashy hire which is going to be super interesting the big name hire but it feels like with each hire that we've had, including these Raheem Morris in Atlanta, um, and then we have these last two, right? We have these last two, you know, teams that filled. It feels like we've checked off every box in terms of a proto or a, a stereotype, um, you know, what the prototypical head coaching candidates look like, which is you go for the the long-term vet who has head coaching experience like Dan Quinn. Uh, like you know, John Har or uh, Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh also checks off the the big splashy name box. Higher, you have Raheem Morris, who was a lifer, who was a young, young, young head coach. Now he's been cutting his teeth for a while. He's still only in his 40s. He seems like he's ready for that job. Splashy offensive coordinator type, in Dave Canales, who revived Baker Mayfield's career. Splashy young defensive coordinator, in Mike McDonald, uh, grizzled vet Dan Quinn who, you know, after taking a team to a Super Bowl, you know, basically led one of the top three to five defenses in the league over the last three years with the Dallas Cowboys. We've kind of checked every box in terms of head coaching, you know, bingo, right? In terms of here are all the different types of coaches you can hire. And it got me thinking, if, if you or I, and we can each answer this question, if you're hiring a head coach, if you are one of these owners, what are the things that you go for? Right. And obviously roster and where the team is at is, is all subjective, but like, let's just use the Atlanta Falcons for, as, as an example, right. Middling team seven and where they go, seven and 10, the last three seasons, um, you know, they've been that in that, that middle ground record, they have talent um, missing the quarterback, but they're kind of like the prototypical team that you would take over to try to build. You could say the same thing about Tennessee. If you're in the, in a position where you're Arthur blank, you know, or, or you're the, uh, the owners of the, uh, the, the Titans, where do you lean? Like, what are you looking for in a head coach? Cause obviously like you have Kyle Shanahan as your team's head coach, which is arguably the best play caller that we have over the last 10, 15 years in the NFL. Um, I have Sirianni, who is like a CEO type, got a little shit, was not a good coach down the stretch this past year. Um, but also took his team to a super bowl in year number two. Uh, So we're in like unique spots, like we've had coaches who have had success, you know, in the NFL, but also from very different styles. If you're picking these guys, what are the things that stand out? Like, what are the things that should be important? Because it feels like as much as we've talked about the quarterbacks and how much of a crapshoot it feels like to draft quarterbacks every year in the first round. And it's like, how can the NFL still get this wrong year after year and every year we think we know who the best quarterbacks are going to be and we think we know who's going to be awesome and then every year we're still wrong i feel like the head coaching thing is just as bad i feel like owners are just as bad at hiring head coaches as they are at drafting quarterbacks so where are we where are we going wrong and what are the things that should be important When it comes to this, because every press conference, you're going to say the same thing, you know, great leadership communicates well, you know, not afraid to talk to his players, you know, all that. You're going to get the same, you know, bullshit PR stuff that you're going to get from the owners every year and the GMs. But what what it really is the difference between these guys who, who get it and who end up being really good head coaches and the guys that flame out with the understanding, of course, that, you know, you can only cook with whatever ingredients that you're given.
1: Yeah, I'm. I think to me, it's the it's the experience. It's being battle tested. Like even Kyle Shanahan for for all those like the fact that he had splashed as a first time um, head coach uh, after having one of the the most incredible offenses that never won the Super Bowl um, in Atlanta, uh, but the fact that he's been around football for so long with such a legendary coach as a father, uh, and, and you. You see it with his contemporaries who who were part of the the Shanahan tree too. Um, it's no surprise that D'Amico has been that successful in his first year. It's no surprise that uh, McDaniel has been successful in uh, in Miami in in his first two years. Um, <clears throat> it's no surprise that uh, that a guy like Lafleur is that successful because all of those guys were were part of the same group. Um, And even Salah too,
0: like say what you will about Salah, but like you're taking on the jets, which is an impossible job to begin with. And yet their defense has been a top three defense the last two years.
1: So that's, yeah, I, I, am with you there too. So that's number one. Number two is I think what I said about being battle tested and two guys that jump out to me in this head coaching cycle, um, Arthur, uh, I'm sorry. Raheem Morris and he's replacing Arthur Smith. Raheem Morris and uh and Dan Quinn. Guys who have were were the big like up and coming uh defensive minds of the of the of the day and dipped their toe into to head coaching and like we talked about with Ben Johnson, we're not at all ready for. It. Not at all. Went back to what they do and they know and they love uh which is I think Dan running a defense.
0: Was... But I think no matter what happened after 28 to 3, I mean he got his team to a Super Bowl. Yeah. You know, but after 28 to 3, yeah. I just I think no matter what happened with Dan Quinn, it was go it was inevitable that he was gonna get fired as the head coach there.
1: Yeah. And for so for them to to go back to doing what they um what they know in in, in running a defense. They went to spots that uh, were were beneficial for them. It's not a secret that uh, the Rams, uh, even this year for how well they overperformed, have been absolutely just studs on defense uh, for the last or for the entirety of his tenure there. It's not a shock that Dallas, year in and year out since Dan Quinn has been there, is a top five defense in the league every year. Um, there's a reason for that because I think when they they go to, especially after your first one you go to your first head coaching position it doesn't work out you you go back to the thing that you that you know it's easier for you to be able to process okay hey when, what went wrong because when you're back and running the defense which is what you know yeah it's a lot of work but you also it's like second nature. So you have more time to focus on, Hey, what did I do wrong? How can I learn and grow from, uh, Mike McCarthy from a uh, Sean McVay, who is is one of the leagues, elite coaches, um, in in the two examples that I've given. So, um, for them to, to take that time. And even those guys were up for, for head coaching spots uh, in this, the last off season. Um, yeah. and so for them to take their time and be like, you know what, I'm going to find the right opportunity. Um, and and take everything i've learned not only scheme wise and 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 how i i carry myself in running the defense but like what i've learned from the the group that is around me in uh in my second stint as a defensive coordinator or any coordinator who i mean it doesn't just apply to these two guys i'm just using them for the example um but now to to jump back into the head coaching uh into the head coaching realm i think they're not only more experience, but there's more wisdom, there, right? Um, it's it's not just that they've had uh, another five years to digest uh, what what went wrong at their previous spot, uh, yeah. or how they can become a better head coach. It's it's the wisdom you gain from everyone else around you and your situation too. So, well, and um, I think
0: it's important to look at the people, right? Because I think people look at Shanahan, they look at McVeigh. They're like, well, those guys are elite play callers. Matt LaFleur, right? Like Those guys are elite, elite play callers. But you know what else that Shanahan and McVeigh and D'Amico Ryans have? They have a lifetime of experience in the NFL, Yeah, right? So it's easy to sit there and be like, well, D'Amico Ryans is calling the defense for Houston. And uh, McVeigh is is calling the offense and his call, calls plays for them. And Shanahan, same thing. Because I think what people do is they go, oh well this person has an elite trait right like you're an elite offensive play caller or you're an elite elite defensive play caller that's great like it's that's a really awesome thing if your coach head coach can have that but what's more important and the thing that gets overlooked with what those guys have is the experience that they have in their life john you know sean mcveigh's Dad was the G or his dad or grandfather was grandfather. the G grandfather was the GM for San Francisco during the Montana and mm-hmm. and Steve Young and Jerry Rice and that whole era when when San Francisco was winning Super Bowls. Um uh, McVay same thing or not Mc- uh, Shanahan Mike Shanahan's you know a Hall of Fame head coach Dad's one of the greatest lifer. head yep. coaches of all time. You know, he's his dad is is in that small elite class of head coaches that are in the Hall of Fame because His dad is an all-time football guy, you know, and he's he was growing up. It's the same thing we say about Steph. It's like Steph Curry is an amazing shooter, but he also he understands what it means to be a pro because from the time he was you know eight years old, he was walking out on NBA courts after games, seeing his you know seeing his dad and him and his brother putting up shots on the NBA court. You know, it's like it's just been ingrained in him, just like it was for Shanahan, just like it was for McVeigh. They spent their whole lives around this. D'Amico spent, what, 12, 13 years playing in the NFL, was a Pro Bowl linebacker, was calling defenses as a linebacker on the field, making those adjustments, knows what it's like, has been doing this for, you know, between that and his coaching career, he's got you know almost 20 years of experience in the NFL and understanding what it takes. He also played at Alabama, right? You know, he was there for the beginning of the Nick Saban run. He's been around some of the best coaches, and, and the best situations that you can find in the NFL. That dude gets it. It's a plus that he can call an unbelievable defense. It's a plus that Shanahan and McVeigh are incredible play callers. It's a plus that LaFleur has been bounce around the NFL since he was out of college and was 21 years old, 22 years old as an intern, as a ball boy, Mike McDonald being a ball boy in Denver. Like all these guys have the similar characteristics of they were all long time. They were brilliant play callers. And they're amazing at that specific trait, whatever that trait is that's directly uh, impacting the field. You know, when it comes to like actual play calling and adjustments and all that stuff. What's more important is that they have that holistic view. And I think that, to me, that word holistic is the thing that comes into play here. You know, it's know what you don't know. Trust the people you hire to go do what they do. And don't be the micromanaging, you know, like the difference, the biggest difference between the Eagles in 2022 and 2023 was the fact that Sirianni went from trusting his coordinators to not trusting his coordinators. And as soon as a head coach who has all the weight and all the pressure that comes with being a head coach doesn't trust his coordinators, they're going to start to dip their fingers or dip their hands into the honeypot a little bit left and right. Brandon
1: Brandon Staley is another example of that.
0: Yeah. I mean,
1: but like didn't trust the coordinators around
0: and he's going to continue to be a great defensive coordinator somewhere. I I don't know exactly. I don't know if he got hired somewhere yet to be a defensive coordinator. I think he did. Um, We'll get Zach Parker on that. I I thought I saw a report that he got hired to be a defensive coordinator somewhere. Um, But wherever he goes next, he's going to be really good at that because he gets to specialize back in what he did. And he's going to come back after learning, you know, the failures of what happened with him in the, in the chargers of not understanding the holistic view of what it means to be a head coach, which is being that, that cliche being a leader of men, you know, that Dan Campbell is so good at, but what does that mean? Right? Because yes, you need to be a leader of men, but that's not the only thing, right? That, that That's not the only thing that matters. Like Dan Quinn, Comes across the people as a meathead, you know, we're going to bite their kneecaps. Or my favorite quote from him was the one during Hard Knocks, where he's like, I don't care if you have one ass cheek and three toes, we'll beat your ass. Like I love that quote from Dan Campbell because it's hilarious and it makes no fucking sense. But that's what people perceive on the surface with Dan Campbell. The thing that people don't see is that Dan Campbell spent like seven years working for Sean Payton you know, one of the most forward thinking, brilliant head coaches of our generation of a guy, a guy who understands analytics, who understands the the numbers and the math and everything behind it. So not only do you have to be able to resonate, be authentic with who you are with your players, Sirianni might be cheesy. Yeah. But you know what? That's who he is. You know, like he's a cornball. That's his whole vibe. He likes doing that. He you know he went to a d3 uh college that like won a bunch of national championships so he has that college thought process still but it's authentic to him and so that resonates with players and that's one of the number one things i've always heard about nfl coaches which is that if you're not authentic if you go in and you try to outsmart everybody if you try to be chip kelly right and you try to be the guy who's smarter than everyone else it's not going to work and at the same time if you're jim tom sula or uh uh what's his name the the head coach at Rutgers. Why am I blanking? Shiano. Shiano, Greg Shiano, you know, if you want to be the old school football guy that has a short, you know, uh shelf life too. You know, when Lane Kiffin came in and thought he was smarter than everybody else, like that is going to, that's a detriment to what you could be. You know, you need to come in with the understanding of like, I need to be myself. I'm not smarter than people. There are people who know better than me. I can learn from people, but you have to be authentic to yourself you have to understand the modern NFL, which Dan Campbell, for as much of a meathead as he is, understands the analytics. You know, we're not talking about like, oh, look at this flashy young play caller, Matt LaFleur, who's going to go for it on fourth down a million times or whatever. You know, we're not talking about it with Dan Campbell. Like that description of what we traditionally think of these like gutsy analytic type coordinators, who become head coaches dan campbell doesn't fit in that and yet what have we talked about since you know sunday and every new show uh sports show has basically led with since monday morning which is like was dan campbell too aggressive was he trusting the analytics too much which is comparatively to what we thought about him when he was a coordinator or, and was first hired as head coach was like look at this fucking meatball who wants to eat you know fucking kneecaps you know, so it's like you have to be holistic. You have to be authentic. You have to see the whole picture, understand the NFL. But you also have to understand what wins. And the biggest thing I I could say is like the best coaches are people who have a lifetime of experience in the NFL, who've won, who have lost. Right. Dan Quinn has won a Super Bowl as a defensive coordinator, created the most dominant defense of the 21st century or with the Seattle Seahawks in the Legion of Boom unquestionably statistically they're the best defense that we've we had you could say like the 2000 ravens is in that category too but between those two teams those are the two best defenses that we've seen in the nfl and he championed that defense he goes to atlanta it works he goes to a super bowl they have the 28 to 3 it's off it doesn't work he's got to go back. You got to take your medicine. You got to, you know, you hit the ball into the woods. You got to punch it back out into the fairway sometimes and just live for another, live for another swing, live for another down. And that's what guys like Dan Campbell and Raheem Morris went out and did, which is they got their shit shoved down their throat. It was a bad, bad situation for them in Tampa Bay and in Atlanta, despite some good things happening in Atlanta for, for Dan Quinn. But now they have that experience. Both of those guys have won at the highest level. They've seen winning organizations. They know what it takes to get back there, and they know what their own pitfalls were, right? And that's the one thing that's tough, which is like, well, I don't necessarily want to hire Mike McCarthy or a guy who is a failed head coach every single time because some of those guys don't learn. A lot of them are too hard-headed, which goes back to this whole question of why this is so hard to figure out who the right head coach is. And I think the I think at least through this conversation, what I feel pretty confident about is that the best coaches are the ones who have experience, but resonate with players and are authentic. Like, I think those things matter as much as anything else. And, and knowing what you don't know. So if you boil it down to like three buzzwords, you'd say like that, that what I just said there, right, authentic, you know, resonates with players self yeah, and self-aware. You know, understand what you don't know, understand what you need help with. You have to trust coordinators because ultimately what you're doing is you're hiring people to come in and be CEOs for, you know, multi-billion dollar companies. And it's very possible that you can, you know, come in and make a great decision. The Sirianni hire shocked a lot of people because it's like, who the fuck is this guy? But what he did do in, in his first few years is he's proven that he resonates with the players. The players love Sirianni, whether the public likes it or not. The players go to bat for Sirianni, you know, they, they, there's frustrations, things build, they need to change, but that accountability, that self-awareness to look back on yourself and be like, how can I do things better? And that's what Sirianni did and whether it works or doesn't work, will ultimately decide his fate in the future, but that's the hardest pill to swallow. And a lot of coaches don't get that opportunity while still being the head coach. You know, they have to get fired like Raheem Morris or like Dan Quinn before they get another opportunity. But I think it is possible to set yourself up for success. And I I don't know. I think it's a really difficult thing. What I would say is I'd be wary of hiring the young hotshot because he seems, you know, because he's smart, you know, like Mike McDonald. you know, a lot of people don't know his full story, but out of college, he was working for the Baltimore Ravens. And he spent his whole the first 10 years of his professional career with the Baltimore Ravens. He leaves, becomes the defensive coordinator at, at Michigan, and then comes back to Baltimore to be the defensive coordinator there. So a lot of people think of him as, oh, this guy was just in college for a couple, you know, a couple of years ago. What does he know at the NFL? It's not like Brandon Staley, who had a pit stop for one year coaching at James Madison. You know, it, it was he was college to college to college to college to college to QA coach, cornerbacks coach all of a sudden defensive coordinator, you know, that meteoric rise to success. That would be concerning. Why I think Mike McDonald might have success in Seattle is because he's been around a winning franchise for more than a decade. You know, he's been coaching in big games. He's been around what a stable, you know, successful franchise looks like in the NFL. And I think, I think my gut instinct is I think Mike McDonald will end up being a pretty good head coach but you're taking a gamble with a dude. That's that young. You know, I mean, Mike Campbell is 36 years old. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's young to be a guy who's in the position that he's in right now. doesn't mean he won't be successful. You know, McVeigh was that guy, you know, LaFleur was that guy. Shanahan was that guy. These guys have, have been in those shoes. Um, It's going to be really interesting. And I, and I love it for the NFC West. I know you don't, but like from a football fan perspective, if, if Seattle, hits on this hire and he does become another like young coach that really truly gets it especially with the scheme that he runs defensively. Um I think it's going to make the NFC NFC West really fun moving forward.
1: Yeah, I guess. <laughs> no, it's a, uh, I'm with you, man. I, I, I think it will um just because of the, the potential of it, but, uh, but yeah, when guys like that get hired in your division, I mean, you're, you know, you'd say the same thing about Dan Quinn and yours um division, uh, where it's like that might get a little more interesting. Uh
0: when I'll say this like I feel better about Dan Quinn being the head coach of of Washington than I would have if it was Ben Johnson. Hmm. But is that me falling victim to the like, am I gonna be afraid of the the deadly play caller who can build this amazing offense and all of a sudden Washington's turns really good? Because in our minds, you know, the, the instinct is to be like, oh well, you know, talent and you have a, a young play caller and it's, oh, it's the next McVeigh. You know, is this going to be the next McVeigh? Like, that's the last thing you want where like Ben Johnson's going to be the head coach in Washington for the next 15, 20 years. Dan Quinn reminds reminds me more of like the Mike McCarthy thing, which is like, damn, if he figured something out here and is going to come in and make that defense really good and he understands and all of a sudden Washington becomes a powerhouse because that's how I felt about McCarthy. Like, I was terrified that the McCarthy situation was going to turn into like Holy shit. Mike McCarthy believes in analytics. Now it's a whole different ball game. You know what I mean? Like that was kind of my thought. I don't think that's going to happen. But, you know, because it didn't with McCarthy, McCarthy ultimately shit down his legs. I, I think, I think Dan Quinn will do a pretty good job. I mean, his track record with what he did in Atlanta was impressive. And like, yeah, he had Matt Ryan and, you know, but remember, he also didn't touch the offense. You know, that was Kyle Shanahan's offense, which tells you that he understood in the first go around, like, Hey, I'm not going to be the one running the offense here who he hires to run the offense in Washington and develop whatever young quarterback they end up getting with the second overall pick this year, I think is going to be, um, it's going to be telling as to what the future holds in uh, in Washington. And maybe they stick with the enemy. I don't think a decision's been made yet. I mean, they just gave the enemy like a four year contract and with like $3 million a year, something crazy to be the offense coordinator. But I'm, uh, I'm curious. I'm curious to see if, if it's the and he just says Hey, this is your offense. Go have fun. I'm going to worry about the defense and I'm going to be worried about leading this team. You know, then I, I think Dan Quinn is a really, really good head coach. I do. Um, and I think he's going to end up being, I think, I think it's going to work out. I think it'll actually work out for both teams. Um, before we take a break, what was your favorite hire? out of all all seven head coaching hirings this this offseason, which one do you think will be the most successful?
1: Uh, Which one
0: do you have the most... Immediate impact? No, like which one do you think long-term, like of these seven head coaches, which one do you see is the most likely to lead their team to a Super Bowl win?
1: I feel like I got to go Harbaugh. But that's the AFC, so I don't know, man. (laughs) In that division, too. Um, I feel like it's Harbaugh just because... I think we've seen him do it on both levels already. Um and now he has the the most talented quarterback uh <clears throat> maybe we've ever seen uh yeah. under under his uh under his watch uh as head coach. Um I, I I think that probably has the the best shot. Uh I I would again I I'd, I'd argue I'd argue Mike McDonald too with uh with you know, how, how effective he's been, um, at both levels as well. So, uh, we'll see. They need a lot of personnel there though. Um, but you know, that's, that's stuff you can fix. Um, uh, so yeah, I think, I think those two are, are where I'm at. Um, sucks cause it's an LA team and, uh, and Seattle. So <laughs> yeah, that's your, uh, that's your worst nightmare. But yeah, yeah, I think I, uh, those are the two I'd give the nod to. I mean, Atlanta too. Um, with that well, that's division.
0: that's gonna be my pick. I think it's Raheem. Yeah. Mo- I think it's Raheem Morris. I, th- yeah. I think that's a, I think that's an awesome hire, you know. And and you can learn a lot by what coaches say and what coaches don't say in press conferences. And what McVeigh went out of his way after their season ended, after they lost in the playoffs, the the way he talked about Raheem Morris before he got that job tells me pretty much everything I need to know. Like I, <clears throat> I really really think Raheem Morris is gonna come in there because. The defense is already pretty good. You still have some cap space. The offensive line's gotten better over the last couple of years. You have all the skill guys. You need the quarterback. You're drafting in the top 10. You might have to mortgage the future a little bit, but that, you know, you know, it could be a Justin Fields trade, you know, or it could be, you know, can imagine like Kirk Cousins or something like going to Atlanta, um, or it's more than likely it's going to be a rookie. You know, it could be Jaden Daniels could be Michael Penix, uh, JJ McCarthy, I, I, whatever it is, I think they're going to get a young quarterback to build. It's obviously not going to be Desmond Ritter in the long term, but I think Raheem Morris, um, who was not like statistically like wins loss record was not terrible when he was the head coach of Tampa Bay. But you consider the state of what that division is right now. Like I know Todd Bowles came in, they won a playoff game against a pathetic Eagles team. Um, I don't think, you know, Todd Bowles is is long for that, for that job. You know, I, I could see him next year, them having a a six and a six and 11 season and being like, all right, like, you know, Todd Bowles is fine, but he's not, he's not crazy good. He's not like an unbelievable coach or anything. I could see them moving on from him. I'm not sure how I feel about the Canales thing. I still worry about Bryce young and then, you know, the saints are in cap hell once again and it's Derek Carr. You know, if if I feel like there's a team that's going to be able to grab a hold of that division, it feels like it's Atlanta because it feels like they're kind of primed. And what we've learned here is that, you know, you can make the playoffs in your first year. You it can, it can only take a year or two to turn a team from, hey, we are a solid team or just make the playoffs or, you know, 500 team to all of a sudden we're in the Super Bowl. You know, we, how many years have we seen it with San Francisco? I mean, obviously injuries were a big part of that. The Nick Mullins years and stuff in the early years with Jimmy G. Uh, the Eagles last year, you know, Sirianna comes in. They sneak into the playoffs at nine and seven. The year after that, boom. Now they're in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, you can turn it around with the right pieces. And between Kyle Pitts, uh, Mike, uh, not Michael Pittman, um, Drake London, Bijan, you make some investments on that offensive line, you get the quarterback situation figured out and you could be dancing here, but you got to hit on the quarterback for sure. And that's
1: the, the nice part. The the offensive coordinator that Raheem Morris brought over, Zach Robinson, was the quarterback's coach at, with the Rams for a long time. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, bringing that guy in, knowing that you need to fix that particular position, whether through the draft or free agency or, or trade or whatever, um, I think that's where you can sort of get that relationship right from the jump. Yeah, uh, between the offensive coordinator and the quarterback. So, and that's
0: a guy who got uh, a, a lot out of Jared Goff, and then has worked with Matt Stafford for the last few years. Yeah, you know, so yeah. the dude who's had a lot of experience working with good quarterbacks and elevating quarterbacks to a higher level. Um, so yeah, my pick would be Raheem Morris. I yeah, I really I like, like that, that higher. I think that's going to be. And I'll say this too, I'm very the one I'm most curious about Harbaugh aside because I think just everyone's fascinated with knowing what that's going to look like. I'm really curious what Gerard Mayo does. Um, you know, he's, he played for Belichick. He's been a part of that organization for a long time. He coached under him. Is he going to be the first guy who says, you know what? I'm not going to try to be Belichick. I'm going to be my own guy and everything about him screams like he's going to be his own guy. And I think that, that to me is exactly what you want. Um, My prediction for Gerard Mayo is it's either going to work out incredibly well or it's going to go up in flames. And I I don't think there's going to be much of a middle ground in between those two, which will be fun. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We have Super Bowl storylines and narratives to hit. And then we'll get you guys on your way to the rest of your week and the weekend. All right, wrapping up here. Storylines, narratives. Like I said at the beginning, narratives is... The word narratives is probably my least favorite word in sports media. It gets painfully overused. Um, and I think it's also it's very heat of the moment stuff. You know, it's like, oh, well, what's the narrative on this? And all it's I, I don't know. I think it's crappy. I don't like it. Um, however, with the Super Bowl, we have all these storylines, you know, we have the off-the-field stuff, the Taylor Swift crap, you know, but then you have these like Or where does this rank, you know, Andy Reid all time if he gets three stuffs? That to me is, that's lazy stuff. You know, what what we're trying to do here is we're trying to talk about, like, realistic narratives, you know, realistic storylines where, like, if this happens, are we, uh, how much of things change? Like, I think if Patrick Mahomes wins the Super Bowl, gets his third Super Bowl, there's going to be, I already can see it in my head if the Chiefs win. Patrick Mahomes surpassed Brady as the GOAT already because he's 28 years old and has three Super Bowl rings. I get it. I I get the instinct to do that. But that's the kind of shit that gets, you know, clicks on TV. And that's what get up and first take are going to debate. To me, I think there's more nuance to that. I don't think it needs to be as black and white as where does this rank this person? It's not about rankings. It's about contextualizing what these achievements mean in these people's careers you know in a in a sport that we all very much love and and are have a have a huge huge passion for so uh we're gonna hop in here go back and forth trade off a couple of storylines that are uh that are kind of pressing so scott do you want do you want to go first you want me to go first
1: yeah i'll I'll go first for one
0: all right let's hear Um, it
1: and it's about my team shocking Uh, not that uh i mean there's a couple that you can derive um you know, if we, if we don't come out on top, um, but the one I, I would ask is uh, legacy wise, particularly if he's the one that is leading uh, the team down the field all game long to win the Super Bowl. What does that mean for a guy like Brock Purdy to the uh, the football fans of the world that are uh, in the camp of of hating on him right now?
0: interesting. So I would, I would say if we, if let's say it's, you know, it's a competitive game, but Purdy just plays lights out, you know, 27 of 30, 300 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, you know, but it's still a competitive game, but he win or lose, but he balls out. But in this case, we'll say he wins. You're not going to like my answer, but to me, it's still not going to change. I don't think win or loss, it changes what I think of Purdy because my opinion of Purdy personally is that I think he is very clutch and I think he knows how to make big plays in big moments. I think he knows how to win football games and I think he has just enough talent himself to be able to put the ball exactly where it needs to put. And I was, I've listened to a few podcasts, that have talked about it, and a lot of the stuff that Purdy does pre-snap does not get appreciated enough. You know, he's a bit, you know, he comes up there and puts the offense in the right positions every single time. That's hard to do. That's high level football stuff. And that's the argument for like, do you take the guy who played four years or five years of college football, like a Michael Penix, who's seen more, who understands more football, who might be able to come in right away and win you football games. You know, that to me is like, that is, has become more valuable rather than getting the, not more so, but ju- it is valuable. Whereas before we are like, Oh, well, if you get a, you know, 22, 23 year old rookie, you know, that's worth nothing. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's, but it's like, yeah, if you have a rookie, who's 20, 21 years old, you know, he's going to develop, you're we're going to develop him into a product, but then you have the Kenny Pickett's who like to do is 25, 24, 25 as a rookie. And that hasn't worked out either. And we don't even know if Pickett's going to be the starter going into next season. So there is an argument for Purdy, and I think a lot of it is individualistic, right? Like, Purdy, I think, is just better than Kenny Pickett. Like, I, I do. I think he's just a better quarterback. I think he sees the fields better. I think he's also in the single most advantageous position of any player we've had. You know, like, even think about when Mahomes was in his first year starting, and you had Kelsey and Tyreek. The Niners support cast, On I was thinking about this after we did the pot on, on Monday. I think the Niners' supporting cast right now in offense is the best that I've seen in my lifetime. I think it's the best since the One greatest. Sh- I think it's the yeah. best since the greatest show on turf, right? Because and if you think about it, they're actually built very similarly to the greatest show on turf, right? Orlando Pace, the the Hall of Fame left tackle, Trent Williams, the Hall of Fame left tackle, right? Torrey Holt and Isaac Bruce on the outside, Debo and Brandon Ayuk, Marshall Falk in the backfield, Christian McCaffrey right? Like they kind of mirror each other brilliantly and nothing against Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner ended up being a really, really good player. Like people want to talk about how Brock Purdy is going to be the next Tom Brady. I think it's more likely based off how the storylines have built up that Purdy is more like Kurt Warner, you know, where it's like Kurt Warner then goes to the Giants and is out of the league and working at a grocery store, you know, And, and, and Purdy could be on a similar trajectory until he gets that phone call, maybe works his way back. That to me is the more similar thing. When you think about the greatest show on turf, is your first thought like, damn, Kurt Warner was just fucking incredible. Or is your first thought, holy shit, that offense was ridiculous. Yeah. You know, you think, holy shit, that offense was ridiculous. And Kurt Warner was a piece of that, you know, Marshall Falk was the catalyst, just like Christian McCaffrey was. And then you have two stud Hall of Fame wide receivers on the outside. I'm not saying that Debo and Ayuk are going to be Hall of Famers. They might be, but you have two studs on the outside, and then you have the Hall of Fame left tackle. Trent Williams absolutely should be a Hall of Famer when he when he hangs it up. Orlando Pace, same thing. Physical freaks move guys around. They're built very, very similarly. And so if Purdy comes in and plays great and they win the Super Bowl, I don't think it's really going to change my view because I think the offense has been amazing all year. My argument has always just been, it's not because of Purdy. Purdy just operates the offense and he does it really, really, really well. Is that fair? I can tell you, 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 after I pointed out the greatest show on turf thing, I feel like I just got in your head there for a second.
1: Well, because it's the Rams. Uh, Um, no, I mean that's that's a fair point, but like, you now how many times? Say it's like like you said, a tight game, and a, and he leads a game winning drive in the fourth quarter, like he has each of the last two, uh, games in the playoffs. Yeah, um, and a lot during the regular season too, um. So, I, like, if if that happens. I don't understand what the the hate would be. It would be like, dude, no, he clearly did the thing that put us on the mountaintop. Yeah. Stop hating. I, like, I, I don't care it, how mediocre you think his talent is. That dude balled.
0: He did his job in accomplishing what it was because you never single handedly do it. You know, like Nick Foles won the Super Bowl for the Eagles. Alshon Jeffrey also made an insane touchdown catch on the opening drive. Derek Barnett also recovered a fumble and Brandon Graham forced a fumble to make that happen. Jake Elliott was nails as a rookie in the Super Bowl, kicking big time field goals to make it an eight point game after they get the fumble. You know, Legarrette Blunt breaking off big runs. Nelson Aguilar having nine catches for or eight catches for ninety four yards in the Super Bowl. Zach Ertz with the big plays. You know, it's like. Nick Foles was was great. He did everything he was asked to do, and as fans, we will look back on that Eagle Super Bowl thinking, "Well, yeah, Nick Foles won that Super Bowl," because that's how we view quarterbacks. Quarterbacks always get that shine, but contextualizing it, it's like, yeah, but also, Corey Clement with three guys draped over him. On a play that some New England fans still are debating whether or not it's a catch or not. And if that same play happened in this Super Bowl, it very easily could be ruled an incompletion because we still don't know what a catch is. Like, those things had to happen in order for us to get to that point. I will not take a single thing away from Purdy for what he does. What I won't do is I won't elevate him above what I do know. And what I, because I don't know what Brock Purdy will look like on, you know, Carolina or on Tampa Bay or pick whatever team Jacksonville. I don't know what he would look like in those offenses. So I can't speculate on that. But what I do know is that he has the best supporting cast around him since the greatest show on turf. And when we talk about the greatest show on turf, it wasn't because Kurt Warner was incredible. We talk about the whole show and the whole show of the greatest show on turf was the collective parts of that entire offense. And that's how I view the San Francisco team, which is that I view them as Purdy doing his job in the entire show. He might be the leading man, you know, because he's the quarterback. But as I've gone through multiple times, he's not the best player on on this offense. He's probably like the fourth best player on this offense. But what he does, he's been incredible at, and he deserves all the praise and all the flowers for getting to this point. And if they win the Super Bowl, that will only continue for me but I will contextualize it knowing how ridiculously talented the supporting cast is around. Is that fair? I feel like that's a, that is like you give the man credit, but you also add the context of how ridiculously good this Niners team is, uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to get caught up in the, you know, the fact that like he's an MVP candidate too, but it's like every time we do this, it's like the best player on the best team or or like the 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 quarterback on the best offense. Yeah. 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 Dak and was a top every five.
0: Yeah. yeah, Dak was a finalist for MVP this year. You know, it's like, does anyone actually think Dak was that good or was, I mean, Dak had a good season, you know, but Dak is still Dak. He gets the yeah. same shit we've seen every single year with that guy, you know? Job, yeah, it's, I
1: just, I just want the ring. That's why.
0: Hey, and the, the ring comes, no question, from a, from a, and that's for me, but from a general media standpoint and a general fan standpoint, absolutely, I think people give him more credit. I do. I don't think it'll be warranted. You know, I think he deserves the appropriate amount of credit that he deserves for this offense being as awesome as it is. But I do think there will be a lot of people. Actually, what here's, here's my actual, what I actually think will happen. Niners win. Purdy plays well. The gap between what people think about Purdy gets bigger. The people who think Purdy's really good already, this cements it, That that validates it for them. People who think Purdy sucks, they're only going to dig deeper into their side of the argument and be like, damn, yeah, well, it's of the, course, because look at
1: everyone else around. them." It's the same argument we're having about, like, head coaches. Like, why wouldn't yeah. anyone hire Bill Belichick? It's like, is he the greatest of all time? He hasn't done anything without Brady. So, like, it's the same concept where it's like, we don't Even know what Brady is was without- shit.
0: Brady had, like, one big time drive on the in their first Super Bowl run. Now, granted, it's the one that won them the game and he... Again, Brady gets the appropriate amount of credit that he deserves for what he did to win that first Super Bowl. In my mind, what won those first three Super Bowls wasn't Tom Brady. It defense. was the defense, yeah. you know? So to me, when people are like, oh, he hasn't won without Brady. I'm like, yeah, but Brady doesn't win without Belichick in those first three Super Bowls either. So, you know, like it's it's split up in my yeah. mind, at least. Yeah, yeah. that's know. just the comparison uh, I drew. <laughs> I like it though. I like it. Uh, My first... Storyline narrative here is what does it mean for Kyle Shanahan? Like, what does this game mean for Kyle Shanahan? Obviously, it means everything, right? For Kyle Shanahan, you were the offensive coordinator 28 to three. That's always on your resume. You took the Niners to the Super Bowl with Jimmy G. You came up short, even though the Niners played really good football throughout that entire game and it was a nail biter. My question about this game in particular. And, uh, and for Kyle Shanahan is, I want to know, is Shanahan a big game coach or not? And is it something that, and I I made the comparison on the, on the pod or on Tuesday about he is like another big loss away from falling into that Andy Reid, where Andy Reid was when he was in Philly. You know, because for Shanahan, he was awesome. For 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 so long, calling plays, and he's put together all these wins, and he's innovated the offense, and they run the West Coast, but they all do these things: the five wide, use check going out in the slot, and all the stuff that they can do. The multiplicity of their offense, all that stuff, he deserves credit for everything. Just like Andy Reid deserved credit for like taking the West Coast offense and basically like perfecting it in Philly with Westbrook and you know Chad Lewis and, and L.J. Smith and Donovan and everyone they had in the in those teams back in Philly for all those years but Andy consistently shot himself in the foot. The lack of game management, the lack of of clock management, you know, terrible on challenges, never seeming to come up with the best plans in the biggest games. He could never get over that hump with Philly, you know, with Donovan for all those years and with Michael Vick for a few years. And he couldn't get over that hump when he had Alex Smith when he was in Kansas City. And then you get the most talented quarterback we've ever seen. And he's able to get over that hump. I want to know, what is it going to take for Shanahan to get over that hump? And is is having a greatest show on turf type of offense that is just so outrageously talented, more so than any other Shanahan team in the past, because they're healthy, right? It's the same, very similar offense to what they had going to the playoffs last year, but they're healthy this year, which they weren't healthy last year in the postseason. What is it going to take for him to get over that hump? Right, because if they lose this yeah. game, the narratives, the the shitty narratives, are all going to be like, "Well, he can't win the big one." That might be true with Shanahan, because as we've seen in the Green Bay game and Detroit, he got out coached in both of those games, and his team came through in the fourth quarter and they were able to pull it out for him. If he can out coach Andy Reid or overcome it again after getting out coached again by you know with Andy Reid in this game. Then I think, you know, it feels different. But if the Niners come in and blow this game out, then, it, and because he just has the perfect game plan and knows exactly how to attack Kansas City, then. Oh,
1: I long for that. <laughs> then we
0: will jolt him up into that, like, you yeah. no longer need to question it because we give Kyle Shanahan so much respect because he's earned it as, as what he's done throughout his career. But I am curious, like, is he ever going to get past that point? Of, like, yeah. do we question if this guy is the actual guy or not?
1: And and I think a lot of it is, is two, uh, two things that are related. One is like in those two games that you described, the, uh, the, during this playoff run in particular, the adjustments that were made, um, particularly on, on, well, on both sides of the ball, particularly on offense, like the adjustments that were made to get Brock into positions where he, um, was successful on offense and was able to drive the ball, especially that late in the game, um, were were signs of, of growth, right? And typically Kyle's Achilles heel in the past has been like, nope, this is my system. This is how we're running it. It's better than anybody else's system. And what do we have to show for it hardware-wise? A couple yeah. of NFC championships, right? So, and especially going against bags on the other side, uh, as, uh, as the defensive coordinator, it's going to be a game of like, Hey, don't get too freaking cute, man. Cause Kyle's done that in the past. He's gotten too cute and has tried to like, to offset whatever, uh, whatever is getting thrown at him, um, uh, on the defensive side of the ball with, Oh, we have a million different things that we can do in our offense. Um, and, and we're going to try to do it now nah, step up. This is playoff football right? Like at the end of the day, running the ball matters, being able to make the opportune play matters. That's what they've done uh, throughout this postseason run. And and to me, it shows signs of growth. Um, And it's like what we talked about with traits of the head coaches. It's like, Hey, trust what you've, what you've done, right? Trust what you've learned from, trust the people around you who you've helped groom and, and, and grow to get to this point. Um, to to make the adjustments to tell you, hey, why don't we just stick to what we know, uh, stick to stick to the things that that make us successful week in and week out, um, and with a healthy roster on the field this year, it it seems unstoppable at, at times, um, and, and so I think that's where where the the answer is like those are the things that get him over the hump.
0: But that's the question, right? Because he was trying to be too cute in Green Bay. He was trying to be too cute against Detroit and it wasn't working, you know, and it wasn't until that that fourth quarter, whatever they said in the second half to Brock Purdy, to be like, hey, if those reads aren't there, run him. Brian Greasy, like the guys who are in working with Purdy to make that adjustment to say, hey, if it's not there, get something, get a first down, do whatever you got to do. And like, three
1: backbreakers that that did yeah. that against I mean, those, the Lions.
0: You could make the argument outside of like you know the Brandon Ayuk play, which I still think was the most important play and and the luckiest and like the the play that ultimately swung the game. The thing that really sealed that game for San Francisco were those three plays, the three backbreaking third down runs by Purdy. Where it, not like he's the fastest guy in the world, but he's got enough. You know, he's got en- he's quick out of the pocket and he's yeah. got enough to just get by guys, get around. You know, if you have a, a DB or a linebacker in pursuit of you, he's quick enough to get out of the way, put them out of position. And then, boom, he's got the
1: lane. He, he's sneaky 10 yard split, though, like his, yeah. his 10 yard split was the same as Lamar.
0: Yeah, he's got he's quick. You know, he's not going to sustain the speed, but he you know, he's quick out of, out of that backfield, which yeah. is not something we saw out of him at, at Iowa State, which is so interesting now that like in the NFL, he's got that little burst out of him. But that's huge. You know, that's what we say about Mahomes. Those backbreaking third down plays like that's stuff that Mahomes kills teams on when you mm-hmm. think you have them beat. And that's the same thing that happened. Ultimately, they had to rely on that though. like that was like the like all right shit we our, our offense our plans not working we got to throw it out the window we're going to come out here with something different and by the way Brock if it's there fucking take it and as poorly as Brock play, played in the first half those plays were the ones that he made that ultimately won the game mm-hmm. but ultimately that comes back to the, the their game plan coming into it which with Spags you have no idea what to expect and i know whatever Spags is cooking up right now is going to put some pressure onto Brock Purdy, this offense, and how they respond in the second half is, I think, going to be the biggest factor in what ultimately decides who wins this football game because we've seen that Purdy in San Francisco has been willing to adjust, which I think, to your point, with Kyle Shanahan, like the biggest growth point has been him adjusting to that, him not being so stubborn until, like you said, this is my system. This is the way that I do this. No, this isn't working. I'm not going to have another bad playoff loss. If you see daylight fucking run Brock and go get that first down. And it worked, Mm -hmm. it worked perfectly for them. And of course, again, they got a bunch of breaks along the way that helped that make that work, but they capitalized on it. And the fact that they weren't so set in their waves tells me that like, I think the adjustments are going to be just as important for San Francisco, if not more important than what their actual game plan coming into this yeah. game is because you can run at, and we'll get into this stuff next week when we're previewing it, but like you can run at Kansas city, you know, DVOA against the run this year, Kansas city ranked like 28th. So if, if, if the you're, best back in the league,
1: <laughs> on, yeah, you got Christian
0: side. McCaffrey, but that being said, you don't know what spags is going to draw up exactly. to kind of counterbalance that like I've, you're, it's like going to a fight with someone who's crazy, you know, You'd you'd rather fight someone that you know what they do rather someone who comes in you have he's completely unpredictable because that's going to make it that much more difficult. Yeah. Um All right, up next, what's your what's your next one? We've we've had two Niners ones. Do you have a Chiefs <laughs> Chiefs story here? Taylor what Swift.
1: You, I mean, yeah. Like, what's what's the narrative for uh for for Kelsey? Um, as far as like uh, what a win or a loss does does a does a win like. They're like this is America's couple firmly entrenched, um, proposes on the field after all of that stuff with a loss. It's like, hey, how do they uh, as a couple like get through this adversity? Dude, Taylor uh,
0: sort of dumps him after a loss in the Super Bowl. Shake it off. <laughs> Fuck you. God damn it.
1: <laughs> shake it off. <laughs> Listen, man, I I'm here all week.
0: Oh. God damn! You know, sometimes you drop those dad one liners on me and I just it just it gets me. That's good. <laughs> That's good, Scotty. It's interesting, right? Because it's it's a little bit of like the what do you get a man who has everything right when you talk about Kansas City? But I do think there's some some interesting stuff here, which is. I think it's a very real possibility that Kelsey's done after this year. I think both Kelsey brothers could ride either, out in the sunset together. Way. Yeah, I do. Um, I'd be a little surprised if that if if Travis retired, but I wouldn't be shocked. You know, like yeah. I think it's interesting that Jason hasn't announced his retirement yet officially. Um, I know what he said in the locker room after they lost to Tampa Bay, but then he immediately came out on the New Heights pod and said, "When I retire, you'll hear it from me." Um, my thought initially was like they want to save that for their podcast.
1: Well, back um, to the back to the Eagles with Kellen Moore. How about the both of them? <laughs> uh
0: wouldn't hate that um but I I'd be curious with what what this means for Mahomes because again, like we've seen Brady win with so many different casts, right He won with the Dion Branch era. You know, he won with Corey Dillon being the best offensive weapon that he had with a sick. Didn't win with Randy Moss, right? And then yeah, but then he had he had Randy <laughs> Moss, didn't win but got close. He had Jules, you know Julian Edelman, Wes Welker. He had that era. Um, you know Chris Hogan, Penn State lacrosse legend, Chris mm-hmm. Hogan. He's he's won with so many different types of guys, and it didn't matter, right? It never mattered who was around Mahomes. And we talked so much this year about what is, you know, what what is this Chiefs team? They have no one who can catch the fucking football. And yet, with all of those conversations, what did we end every single conversation with when we talked about the Chiefs this year? Right? We talked about man, MVS can't catch the football, Sky Mark can't catch the football, Justin Watson can't catch the football, Kadarius Tony can't stay on sides. All this stuff we criticized them. And we said, But you know what? I still wouldn't be shocked if they were in the Super Bowl this year. 15. And we- Look who we're at, right? We're There is a the fucking Super Bowl. We said that time after time, all season, about how terrible the receivers are and how the defense was carrying them and Mahomes didn't look great and they hadn't figured it out. And yet we wouldn't be shocked that they're in the Super Bowl. And yet here they are in the Super Bowl once again. And I, I, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but given the fact that I know Kelsey's been awesome in the playoffs so far, but considering that like he hasn't for the majority of the season looked like the Travis Kelsey of old, you know, he looks like an older version of Travis Kelsey. He looks like a guy who's towards the end of his prime end of his career in terms of, you know, he can turn it on for the playoffs kind of like how Gronk was the last couple of years in new England and in Tampa Bay, but he doesn't look like the same guy. And it's important to remember too, like Travis played like five or six years in the league before Mahomes, So it's not like these two are lockstep came in together. Kelsey was in the league for a while before Mahomes. But you look at this, this group, and, and you look at what Mahomes has done, and we gave him his credit. Like, hey, you know what? He didn't, you know, when Kadarius Tony was off to sides, he didn't say, I can't believe my teammate was off sides. He said, I can't believe the refs made that call. Even though we all saw it, we knew it was the right call. You know, MVS drops the deep ball against Philly. He goes, well, I could have thrown a better ball. The whole time, everything he was putting the blame on himself. He deserves a lot of credit for that because now, in the biggest moments, he's been able to trust Rasheed Rice. He's been able to trust MVS. He's been able to trust these guys. And Kadarius Tony sitting at home, going on Instagram Live, bitching about you know how you know the team isn't letting him play. But he's doing the right things because in this moment, he knows he's going to have to rely on these guys. And I really feel like if Kansas City wins the Super Bowl, this to me, this is his second Super Bowl without. Tyreek Hill, if they win this. Um, and if if they win it without Tyreek again, and his best receiver is rookie Rasheed Rice and you know MVS and aging Travis Kelsey and Clyde Edwards E'Laire and Isaiah Pacheco, who's is a sixth rounder. Like, if those are the guys that he wins with in back to back years, you have to walk away going, he is officially at that Tom Brady level of not career greatness or anything but of he can win with anybody and we'll learn more when Kelsey's done. Cause even this year he's, you know, he's at least had Kelsey, but as soon as Travis Kelsey's gone, we'll know for sure. But if he goes back to back with no legit wide receiver, I mean, who was the best receiver outside of Travis Kelsey in the super bowl last year for them? Like, Sky Moore, Juju Smith-Schuster, Kadarius. I mean, yeah, Kadarius <laughs> Tony, like All who was, right? Outplays. So if he goes back to back years where it's like, hey, yeah, you have Travis Kelsey and then nothing else really that stands out. And oh, by the way, now we're turning rookie Rasheed Rice into like a bona fide star, like not star, but like legit number one option, you know, from a wide receiver standpoint here. I think that tells us that Mahomes is entering that that next chapter of his life what's going to be the post Kelsey era just like we had the 3 year the 3 Super Bowl year run with with New England that then moved on to all right then we had the Randy Moss era and you know it's important to remember there were 10 years that separated Brady's first Super Bowl or third Super Bowl from his fourth i think Mahomes has an opportunity here with how fucking good he is and his ability to pull these games out that if they win this that next chapter is going to start opening here, and I'm really curious to see if that happens. If he's able to win another Super Bowl with this cast, to me, it solidifies that like he can win it with anybody.
1: Yeah, I I don't want that to happen. But yeah, I know you don't. I know you <laughs> don't, buddy. It's it's it's, it's, uh, it's the uh, tough like...
0: it's the tough part of this. I I was in the same boat last year. I had to talk about both sides of it, even though I didn't want to. So I I understand your pain, but. <laughs>
1: It's what we do. I'm with you, man. Because, and again, like you said, we reiterated all year. No matter how bad they looked, even in losses, um, they've they got 15 back there. You want to tell him that he's he's he can't win on the road. Uh, Let me just go on the road twice and show you I can win, Uh, including rolling into Baltimore and uh and handling that defense. Let me win
0: the first game in negative negative 30 degrees, and then I'm gonna go to. Uh, Buffalo and win against my like contemporary rival, and then I'm gonna go to Baltimore in an insane environment. Oh, and I'm gonna go have a perfect start to the game and win that game too
1: and beat the MVP. Yeah, yeah. I like it. It seems like nothing. Like no, he's never too big for the moment, no. um, at all. And that's that's you know how we characterize the the guys that we call goats in every every sport. Um, And every position it's like. And another dude who grew up in a professional sports environment,
0: you know, we talked about with the coaching stuff, but it's like the parallels of him and Steph have always been fascinating to me, you know? And, and obviously, you know, his dad played baseball, you know, he's a football player, all that stuff. I get it, but it's, it is fascinating to, to know. Um, All right. Do you have any other, any other storylines, any other narratives that pique
1: your Um, interests? Do you think, um, Cause we talked about the, the ideologies of head coaches. Like, do you want to go with the defensive guy? Do you want to go with the offensive guy? Um, what do you think? Because we see trends develop every, every year, um, you know, with the Eagles over the past couple of years, bolstering the offensive line, it's like, Oh, we, we got to like shore up everything, get offensive line, get offensive line depth, um, get defensive line, get defensive line depth, um the Niners kind of feared that this year and it's worked and they've gotten back to the super into the super bowl. Um, and, and the chiefs to a degree have bolstered that offensive line over the past few years as well. So like, um, what do you think is the, uh, the trend coming out of this game? Like how do you see it playing offense defense uh, taken over and what is the trend that, uh, that you think comes out of this game uh, across the NFL?
0: I don't know if there is one. Because I think this is a unique Super Bowl where it feels like it's the unstoppable force and the immovable object between Mahomes, who just feels inevitable, and San Francisco, who also feels inevitable because of the talent. You know, like, it's not replicable things. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not. It's not like not we're a,
1: finding something new in this. So yeah. Like now we you know, it's just it. like,
0: it's look at this <laughs> roster that San Francisco has. Look at this offense. You can't replicate this. You can't replicate drafting mystery irrelevant and having him turn into a legitimately, mm-hmm. like legitimately good starting quarterback, and also being able to hit on Debo Samuel in the second round, hit on Brandon Ayuk was Ayuk was a late first rounder. Yeah. Right? Hit on a late first round wide receiver who turns into a stud who was crazy raw coming out of Arizona and sculpting him. And his first few years in the league, he was pretty meh. Like, probably the most underrated talked about thing with San Francisco was like. Brandon Ike was not good his first like two three years. It really wasn't until like last year that he broke out and was like, wow, this guy's actually, He it seems like he's realized the talent that he has there. Um, and again, I just, I don't think it's replicable. I mean, you know, Kittle in the second round or third round, uh, you make the all in trade to go get McCaffrey, but McCaffrey also was completely dependent on whether or not he can stay healthy. He hasn't missed the game due to injury for, for y'all i think since he's been there right which is yeah. knock on wood yeah um which is b- crazy to think about considering what McCaffrey's career at stanford and carolina was where he was just constantly injured um the trent williams piece of it right like trent williams is awesome uh you go out and you get that that star left tackle a few years ago i mean they made that trade what five six years ago it was he wasn't in that this, the last Super Bowl,
1: no. no so
0: four years, I think it was that know, year.
1: Yeah, I think it was twenty twenty.
0: You know, they, that was when he he had the the brain cancer scare that he had when he was in Washington, and then he gets traded, and then they they get him in in San Francisco. I don't think that's replicable, man. You know, I don't think you come away from this game one way or the other because the same thing with Mahomes. No one can replicate Mahomes. Mahomes is it, it, again just feels inevitable that whatever he does is going to work. And I think you can say the same thing about San Francisco, which is like they've done such a great job of building this roster and they've had the luck of staying healthy. If there's one, one thing, and I think that uh, Baltimore also plays in on this, the importance of linebacker play, right? You look at how great Baltimore's defense was and the, the core of that being linebacker and i think for the last few years the last five six years we've kind of started the nfl started to view linebacker kind of like running back where it's replaceable right it's more about getting pressure and about having good corners the linebacker thing you can kind of have you know in and out doesn't necessarily matter you look at you know the last four teams that were left baltimore patrick queen roquan smith uh kansas city nick bolton and uh willie gay you look at detroit Right. They invested first round pick in Jack Campbell, Malcolm Rodriguez, who was a, a, you know, a draft pick stud. I loved him at Oklahoma State when he was on that team. Comes up with a huge interception. I know he's not one of the starters. He was replacing um, uh, Burns. I I forget the guy's name, a Birch, maybe Um, who was the other starting linebacker for Detroit when he went out. Malcolm Rodriguez comes in and played really, really well in that game. You know, he was not the reason that they, you know, McCaffrey still McCaffrey. Again, he's going to get his no matter what. But he did a pretty damn good job of helping slow him down and he made a big time play in a big moment. And then obviously San Francisco with Dre Greenlaw and Fred Warner. So if there's one like trend thing that can come out of this, I think the importance of linebacker play. Um, but I think after seeing, you know, what Baltimore's done, San Francisco, Kansas City, three of the top, you know, five. Defenses in the league and how strong they are at the linebacking position. Linebacker position, I think that that could be something people walk away from this Super Bowl being like, "Yeah, this is something. This is something that that maybe team should invest in." Jeremiah Trotter Jr. to the Eagles. I want that. Hey Amen. I want that.
1: as a as a student of uh, of linebacker, you at Penn State. I I love that take.
0: <laughs> to uh to uh. Yeah. I love linebacker. I mean, that's what I played. I was a linebacker. I love, I love the position. I love it so much. Um, but yeah, to quote the, the white from Napoleon dynamite, I want that. I want, I want, I want that. Whenever I see a picture of Jeremiah, Trotter, Jeremiah Trotter Jr. Oh, I-, I want that. I also love he still does the act celebration that his dad did as like an homage. I think that's mm. sick. Um, trying to think if there's anything else practically, you know, again, like we could get into the like, well, where does Andy Reid rank all time? And like yeah, yeah. he coaches for five more years, he'll break the record and he has Mahomes and and all this stuff. But
1: how do you feel, too? Because I've heard narrative of like or talk about like, hey, if he wins this one or even if, if they lose this one, like there's a possibility you might step away. And we've heard that about a, a couple of head coaches over like established head coaches as the season kind of wound down. Mike Tomlin being the one uh, I can think of off the top of my head. who was like, hey, you know what? I might just take a break because this shit's a lot. Um, I think Andy's in such a good position that
0: not I'm not trying to make the argument that it's not like he like he doesn't do a lot. He does, but on game day, the stress is you know, he's he is the CEO of the Fortune. He's the Warren Buffett of the NFL, you know, like he just comes in, whatever he says is gold, you know, and I just I can't imagine him leaving and you consider all the stuff that's happened in his personal life and he's never left. I just, I think that dude is just wired for football and football only, you know? And I, I think it's, I think it'll, it'll take, you know, it took a lot, it took a couple of bad seasons, like a four win season in Philly for him to, to get moved on from. I think as long as he is healthy enough to coach, he's going to continue to coach. I just, I, I don't see Andy. Andy stepping down anytime soon i had because i had that thought but i i would i would be i'd be surprised i'd be surprised um some other some other stuff you could bring in here like mccaffrey in his you know how ridiculous he is and just how fucking fun he is to watch mm-hmm. um, and how about
1: the storyline oh sorry go ahead well finish. what i
0: was what i was gonna say is just the way that he compares to contemporaries in an era where running backs feel so few and far between, you know, like those every down stud running backs. I just, I don't think there's a lot of guys built like McCaffrey and with his injury history, like, again, that's not something you see a lot, but like who's gotten talked about more over the last five years from the running back position, McCaffrey or Derek Henry. Now part of that's because McCaffrey was in Carolina and was hurt and people didn't talk about him a ton. But Derrick Henry is the guy who's like, well, that's that's Tractor Sito, man. That's the that's the true workhorse guy, you know, and and in a league where it's like, do we really want to invest in a true stud running back? Do we want to pay a true stud running back? You know, if he comes in and like my I'll, I'll give a quick preview for the betting pick. My favorite bet on the board right now um, in terms of like prop bets, Christian McCaffrey, Super Bowl MVP is plus four hundred. And I know everyone's going to want to give it, but with this run defense for Kansas City, if the Niners are just able to run the ball down their throat, and he has like 150 yards and two touchdowns
1: I'm scrimmage, I feel, yeah, yeah, I feel
0: and and like Purdy has like 200 yards throwing and two touchdowns, you're gonna you're gonna get, and that's just running the ball. Like if if he has 125 on the ground and 40 in the air with two touchdowns, and he just is like the driving force of that offense, like he's been all year. I, to me, like I think McCaffrey should be, I mean, again, it's the same thing. Is it a quarterback award, but it's not always, you know, it's not always a quarterback award. I I think, you know, especially if he has a big day, I I love that bet at at McCaffrey plus 400. Um, I love it. I know you do. I know, (laughs) but I could (laughs) see, you know, I could see some, some people being like, Hey, should, should the end of, you know, I get up subject, you know, the Thursday after the Super Bowl, should we pay running backs bell cow running backs better? (laughs) And my question would be, is he Christian McCaffrey? Because if the answer is no, then no. Well you still don't There's do the
1: it. that plays into the the trend thing that I was talking about. If McCaffrey yeah. goes off and has a huge game, it's like now all of a sudden the the yeah. narrative in the offseason is like, oh, maybe we should pay a Do the running. Jets
0: pay Brees Hall like a four-year <laughs> exactly. sixty million dollar contract. Um,
1: the the story I love with McCaffrey, the storyline I love, uh, and Shanahan is Kyle's dad, Mike Shanahan, yeah. coach uh McCaffrey's dad, uh, Ed McCaffrey, to a Super Bowl win, and now Kyle Shanahan, Mike's son, is coaching Christian McCaffrey, Ed's son, uh, to hopefully a Super Bowl win. That would be, yeah, fucking awesome as a storyline for the NFL.
0: It would be, yeah, and that's just the, the feel-good storylines, you know, and and those are always fun with the Super Bowl. It's always great to have it. Um, now that the reality of it set in, I'm 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 getting more excited for the Super Bowl. I, I mean, I'm always excited for the Super Bowl. Don't get me wrong. But the disappointment of like I was it would have been really fun to see Detroit. I'm kind of past that now. I'm kind of like, you know what? I just I'm happy that we have Mahomes going up against this team, you know, and the fact that like if it was Baltimore and San Francisco, then we'd be like, well, we saw what happened when Baltimore and San Francisco played before. Is this going to look different? You know? Yeah. Um, and I, and I, I, think I think by it would the time
1: was, but. we by the time we hit Monday um, and, and we start hitting those a blocks on some of these these talk shows, it's going to be like. Holy shit. Yeah. Like this is going to be awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's very reminiscent of last year, you know, like it was, you know, the Eagles were favored by I think a point and a half, two points going into that game and um a lot of people talking themselves into Philly, but then that's that proved to be just another notch on the on the belt for uh, you know, Mahomes and just being like he beat another amazing, you know, another really really good team in an awesome Super Bowl. And you look at what San Francisco is and it's like, I I think San Francisco's team this year is better than what Philly was last year, but we also value Mahomes even higher. So it's the same debate we had a year ago. It's just, can Mahomes continue to do this with beating these teams that, that seemingly are better on paper, but they're, they're missing 15.
1: It's going to be fun. Um,
0: All right. Anything else? Any other storylines? Anything you want to add?
1: No, get it cranked up. Have yeah. the best weekend of your life, and uh, and we will be ready to get amongst it yes. on Super Bowl week.
0: Yeah, it's going to be fun. We're going to have some some pods next week. Uh, I'm excited. I'm excited. Super Bowl 58, 10, 11 days and counting. Um, I can't wait. It's going to be great. And uh, distract yourself as much as possible this weekend, because then once you said, once Monday rolls around, we're full go Super Bowl that's what we're focusing on. Um, again, we'll get all of the we'll have our, our betting pod out Tuesday and then Friday will be our preview pod. Uh, we'll break down everything to get you guys ready for the Super Bowl. And then before you know it, we'll be in we'll be in offseason mode and, and begging for football to come back. So that's all we got. Thank you all for listening as always. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate you, Scotty. Shout out to Vito. Uh, Hoping, you know, next week we're going to do everything in our power to make sure that we get Vito onto the pod uh, for both times next week. Cause this is arguably our biggest week of the year. Um, All of our numbers and shares and everything goes up here. So again, if you, uh, if you have friends out there, if you love the pod, if you're one of our, you know, one of our listeners and, and you love the pod, share it to somebody else. This is the biggest week where people consume the most content. So We would love to capitalize on as much of that as possible, get some new fans of the read option in here to boost up our numbers. I think yearly the Super Bowl pods um, are always like the biggest ones that we do. So uh, if you have friends, if you love the pod, if you like me, Scotty and Vito dicking around on here and and talking ball, um, please share it, send it with friends, get some more people in on, on the train here. And, uh, and we're going to have a ton of content next week. It's going to be a ton of fun. So um, that's all we got. Everyone have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy it. Watch the pro bowl shit, I guess. I don't know.
1: I'm I'll Yeah, I'll, dude, I'll I was at dodgeballs to uh, tonight on Thursday. Well, yeah. yeah, I'm a I'm okay. I think I'm good. <laughs> oh, it's so much more fun now with the flag football. I enjoyed it last year. Yeah, it's fine.
0: It's fine. There's there's entertainment. I can catch all the highlights on Twitter. I'll put it that way. Or at least on YouTube. I remember last year they cut up all the highlights and put it on YouTube. So, Maybe I'll wait for that and I'll watch all the highlights from, uh, from that, but I don't think I'm going to be tuning in live. Uh, and if you made it through dry January, we did it. We did it, folks. We did it, Joe. Go, uh, go crack into some cold ones and, uh, enjoy the weekend. We'll talk to you guys on Monday. And as always, till then, take it easy, everybody.